Radio. This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show, where we believe we can communicate with all animals. Join us as we explore the 33 principles and healing methods of the human animal connection. As animal lovers, we know that you share our commitment to making the world a kinder place for all creatures. Together, let's embrace the transformative healing power of the human animal connection. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Animal Connection Show. I'm your host, Michael Overly, and I'm with Jeannie Joseph doing a series on animal communication, opening the doors to. So uh, first episode, she shared a ton of massively great information, and we're going to continue that conversation now. So Jeannie, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So in the first episode of this series on animal communication, we went over the seven principles to getting started. So hopefully you'll go ahead and listen to that episode and we'll carry on from there. Um, We're just excited to have people gain the confidence that they can do this, whether it's just for their own animals, they don't have to do it professionally or whatever, but just to improve the connection with their own animals. So I remember one client I had, she had a, a dog that she didn't realize was part wolf. It was a rescue dog. It was a brilliant dog, could do practically do her laundry. This was dog was so smart, but he had a huge prey drive and she had two wonderful cats in the house. And this was not easy <laughs> because this dog, even though he didn't mean any harm, would be a terror. You know, it was scary. And so she started out by, she put the cats in a little protective crate and tent area and the dog could walk around. She was trying to get the dog used to sniffing them and all this other stuff. And we were making a little bit of progress, but not enough. And so finally I said, wait a minute, I'm an animal communicator. Why don't I ask the cats what they think, (laughs) what their suggestion is? And the cats said, it was so interesting. I never would have thought of this, but the cats said, we want it to be more fair. We want to have some time where he's in the crate and we walk around him. And that was such a beautiful idea. And it wasn't wasn't something that I thought of. It was something that the cats explained. And when we did that, it just helped a lot. It just, we made a lot faster progress. And um, if I hadn't asked the cats, we would still be, you know, poking along with this thing. And the cats just really showed us and, you know, a lot of animals have a sense of fairness. You've probably seen that if you have more than one dog in the house. You can't give one dog a treat <laughs> without giving the other dog a treat, right? And you can't give one two treats and the other dog one treat. So they keep score if you ever want to know if they can count. <laughs> Just put two treats in your pocket and give them one. <laughs> and you can find out exactly how their sense of fairness is. In fact, we talked about that story once about Franz DeWall with his experiment with the... Um, capuchin monkeys and the experimenter they they were in cages right next to each other and the, the the deal they were trained if they gave the experimenter rock they got a little piece of cucumber in return and they would do this over and over and over and over but if one monkey got a grape instead of a cucumber, which they considered much higher value treat. <laughs> they would, and the other one got a cucumber, they would rebel. They would throw the rocks back at the experimenter. They would f- refuse to work. And pretty soon the monkey that was getting the grape would stop working too. In other words, it would support the monkey that was only getting the cucumber until they both got it. They wanted fairness. And this experiment has been reproduced many times. So, I, you know, it's great that science is catching up, but if you just talk to the animals, they'll tell you this stuff <laughs> without having to do spend $500,000 on doing a, an experiment. So, uh, but I, I love the experiments. I'm not against science. I'm just saying that intuitively we know these things to be true that science is now catching up with. How does 
communication, or I'm sorry, how does good communication lead to good connection? Well, it's the same thing in the human world. The better our communication, the better our connection with people. If our communication deteriorates, meaning we're not really listening or we're listening with our ears, but not with our heart, we're not really hearing, you know, we're hearing the words, but we're putting our own interpretations on it, then the connection starts to uh, wear down. It's like there's dirt in the gears, you know, things start to, um, uh, oh, you meant that? I didn't understand you meant that. Oh, I was supposed to do that. You know, everything gets all little, just a little out of shape, out of bent out of shape. So, the quality of communication results in better connection. And that's what we want to teach everyone, you know, who reads my book, The Human-Animal Connection, to understand how they can create this better sense of communication, which leads to better connection. And it starts with simple observation, just being able to observe what is the dog's body language saying, you know, before we start getting into communicating in words, we got to be really tuned into what the animals are saying through their body language. Like you mentioned in the other episode about the dogs that didn't want you to approach. And then when you backed off, they looked away. Well, that look away is saying, yeah, thanks. Got it. You got it. You know, that's exclamation mark on that sentence. We're finished. We're complete in a good way. You know, they, they, and so it's really important to be observing without interpreting with your own emotional states is actually see what it is the dog or the animal is communicating to you. Yeah, that's fantastic. I I didn't know how many different positions um, my dog's ears could go in. Oh, right? yeah. So, right. I mean, understanding when she's in, in full, like full hyper-focused, you can't break this, this right? state mode and where the ears are and when they're just a tiny bit softer. Yeah. And then one's just a little off. And then right. anyway, so I, I was working with her on a number of things and showing my partner that, you know, okay, look at her now. Look at her. Look at the, yeah. where's, yeah. where's that back left foot? See how that just moved back here. The yep. tail came straight. So yep. now she's like, oh, she's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. So she's yeah, picking yeah. up on all this stuff and she, yeah. she understands now that it's not just, you know, on or off. Exactly right. There's this whole yeah. range of nuances like horses' ears or donkey ears, you know, different species or elephant ears are hugely informative as to what's what they're feeling. So, you know, just simple observation is a good start. And when I say simple ob- observation, what I mean is not assuming that you know what it means, because maybe for this one dog, maybe your dog, the ear position a certain way it means something, but the next dog you meet might be a little bit different. So, mm-hmm. we just want to always be open to the fact that there are variations in uniqueness in communication. Yeah. Like, I think it's a real mistake in body language for people to say, oh, well, this means that, you know, uh, a tail wagging means the dog is happy. Well, sometimes a tail wagging means the dog is happy. Sometimes a tail wagging means the dog is stressed. It depends upon the rhythm of the tail, the position of the tail, you know, how much, how, you know, there's so many factors that go into tail wagging. Tail wagging is a huge communication thing. And, you know, it was interesting that once when we were in a play group, with the dogs at the shelter, we were um, running a play group and I was on the outside watching. So what was interesting is they were going to bring in a dog. Um, this is a group of dogs playing for life, a wonderful group. They were going to bring in a dog that nobody could work with. Only the shelter workers could, could walk this dog because this dog was so, you know, intense and had to be muzzled and all this other stuff. So they were going to bring the dog into the yard and there were what we call helper dogs, which are dogs that are very calm and balanced. And when they saw this dog coming, they took three positions, like the three corners, all laying, they were crouched down low, which means they were saying to the dog, we're not going to fight. 
we're, we're safe. You know, the lowness said we're safe being low to the ground, but also gave them a position if they needed to charge, they could do it, right? But they took three, the three corners and just watched the dog. And we said, okay, this is going to be interesting. They can sense that nothing had happened yet. The dog was just being let in. It was in the, what we call the catch pen so they could smell and see each other, hear each other without any physical contact. They knew exactly this dog's state of mind without having to see any evidence. It was the first time they had had ever seen this dog because this dog can only be walked by shelter workers never was interacting with other dogs and it was fascinating to see how the animals could read everything in an instant and this is one of the things that animals do is they instantly get information they get you know they, it's like so fast and this is why it's challenging for humans like humans we have to like oh where do you work and what's your and then, and yeah, we have to hear a whole story and then we think we know the person <laughs> you know all this but the dogs are like boom i know who you are i know what you're all about and they were willing to give this dog a chance and this dog came in was a little bit agitated at first but within five minutes we were able to take off the muzzle because the dogs had communicated to the dog hey this is a safe place nothing bad is going to happen here chill out guy and he did he got it so the humans it would have taken months for the humans to teach that dog good socialization right the dogs like in five minutes had communicated that so this is one of the wonderful things about expanding our ability because they have tremendous ability to communicate all pack animals communicate to each other you know wolves do it elephants do it all these you know all kinds of species do it horses do it they get so much information just from well from many things body language being one i'll just start with that (laughs) yeah and i believe a lot of it is energetic and another thing that we have trouble perceiving but they pick up on things from distances that we can even fathom so yeah um, yeah yeah Yeah. you've mentioned to me before that and you said i think in the last episode as well animals are honest communicators yeah meaning they like there's a uh jeffrey mustaf i hope i said his name right wrote a book called dogs never lie about love meaning Mm -hmm. they love you or they don't love you but they're not like i love you but you know so they have a tremendous honesty however (laughs) doesn't mean that they're not capable of presenting information in a way that serves them (laughs) I had this one experience when I was a student learning the trust technique and learning my animal communication, and I was work- that I was brought in to work with this horse. They had been in one uh, barn. Everything was fine. The miniature horses and the big horses all together, everybody all together, everything was fine, no problems. They moved to a new location. Things changed around in terms of like the horses were now in individual kind of stalls. I mean, they had outdoor part, but they were in individual stalls. And this one horse started acting really badly. His name was Justin. And he started really abusing the miniature horses like they couldn't get near him. He was started to turn into a terror, you know, like a crazy stallion, which he was not, you know, he was um, not a stallion anymore. But they brought me in it and I came in and I had a conversation with him. I said, what's up? You know, these are your friends. Why are you being a bully? <laughs> and he said, because they separated me from this horse, the female horse that he wanted to be with, you know, even though they weren't mating, they were um this was his horse, he felt. And he had been, because he was separated, he was acting out in this different way. He wasn't He was taking it out on the minis, which had nothing to do with the, with him being caught in this. So, I went and, you know, the people who owned him didn't believe in any of this animal communication. The carer did, you know, and that's why she brought me in, but the owner didn't. And so, I went back and I said, well, Justin said he wants to be with May. And, and they said to me, he is with May. 
every night he gets to be with May. They put them together at night. And so I was like, huh? You know, because he told me the reason why he was acting like a bully was because he was separated from May. I went back to him. I said, you told me <laughs> that your reason, why, you know, and you're together at night. He said, I want to be with her 24 seven. That wasn't the words he used, but he said he wanted to be with her night and day. Okay. Yeah. And so I told him that and they put them together and all the problems ended. You know, he stopped picking on the miniature horses. There was now peace in the barn. You know, everything was a lot easier, you know, because they didn't have to worry about keeping them so separate. So, you know, that's just an example. It was a good lesson for me to realize that I needed to ask more questions, you know, in a professional context, because sometimes they'll tell you the story from their point of view. You know, and there may be more information that you need if you're doing this in a professional context. So I wouldn't say that that Justin lied to me, but he definitely, um, you know, gave me an impression that wasn't fully accurate. Let's put it that way. But the happy ending because we were able to get these two horses united again, and there was peace in the in the barn. <laughs> yes, they're a lot uh, a lot more clever than than we give them credit for. A lot. Oh yeah, so. they they really are something. Yeah. So yeah. What is what does it mean when you call an animal by it, the name of, like of the species? Cats, pigs, crocodiles. Yeah, actually, what I what I meant to say to you about that was giving them an individual name is what I meant. So I wanted to tell you the story about cats, pigs, and crocodiles because there was this one story. This guy with the cats, he had he was a foster guy. He would foster cats. The cats that were you know not likely to be adopted, the ones missing an eye, missing a leg, whatever it was, you know, so he had a lot of hard cases that he would adopt and often he would, I mean, foster, often he would end up keeping them because nobody else wanted them. So he had like, uh, I forgot what it was, was like 13 cats or something in his house. He had a big house, <laughs> but he had 13 cats. Okay. So he would call the name of one cat like he'd say, you know, uh, Sally and, and Sally would completely ignore him. But all the other cats would turn and look at Sally. You know, they, they knew, like, even if Sally was not interested in responding to her name being called, all the other cats knew who he was talking to. And I always thought that was such a funny story. But a lot of animals can learn their names, like pigs learn their names. You know, of course, we know dogs learn their names. So many animals, monkeys. Um, and even what's interesting is crocodiles. A friend of mine went to visit one of those um, places that have a rescue sanctuary for crocodiles. And in order to keep order, they, you know, they would have... Each of them, each crocodile had their own name and to feed them, they would call out one, you know, like Fred and Fred would come up and get fed and then he would go away and they would call, you know, Peter, Peter, I don't remember the names, but, you know, Peter and Peter would come up. And I just thought that was such a great story because we don't think of crocodiles as, as beings that could learn their names. But, you know, it's, it's just, it's amazingly powerful that dogs all know, you know, right now we have three dogs, we have a visiting dog. And we'll ask, we'll say to Bailey, Bailey, where's Lucy? And Bailey will turn and look and show us where Lucy is. <laughs> you know? Like Lucy's not responding. We're calling Lucy, but we say, Bailey, where's Lucy? And you know, Bailey turns this way. We look that way. There's Lucy over there. So it's kind of cute. Kind of cute. Um, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. I was going to tell you a story about... Uh, dolphins. Um, oh. a, a friend of mine was a dolphin trainer in Hawaii and he, um, you know, they had to do these really silly experiments, of course, for research. They have to do really kind of, which are, you know, kind of asking the dolphins to do things which are way below their intelligence, but they need to quantify them. So, they do these stupid things like put 
the blue ball in the in the red net and get the yellow ball and move it to the you know the green net all these different silly things which are you know totally beneath these dolphins they can learn this stuff in a second <laughs> maybe not a second but they they learn very quickly and they're kind of bored with this so one day after they had done everything really really well <clears throat> they asked them to do these simple tasks that they knew they knew and they wouldn't they just wouldn't do anything. They would just like get it all wrong or they would like be confused or act like they didn't know. And, and as soon as the trainer's backs were turned, because this was all on video, right? They record all their training sessions. The, the dolphins had refused to do anything that the trainers asked them. But when they saw in the video, as soon as they turned their backs, they did it all right. <laughs> but then they would undo it when they would turn around. So they think they'd done it all wrong. So it's just, it's fun to see, you know, to it's it's important not to underestimate intelligence of animals and when we start communicating with them we recognize that they're they're pretty smart <laughs> there's that i forget who wrote the book are we smart enough to know how smart animals are i think that's franz de who wrote that book you know because we until you start communicating it's really easy to underestimate their experience absolutely yeah. absolutely and I, when we talk about intelligence and um i wrote about this in my first book we can't qualify or quantify even the way their intelligence works with the way we do our lives, right? Like we can't give a, a monkey a Scantron form and expect him to fill it out to take a test, right? Mm -hmm. And do it exactly as we want to. Or, you know what I mean? Or dogs can learn th this many words and we, oh, so he's only this intelligent. He's only capable of having a five-year-old human intelligence. And it, it just doesn't work that way, but that's, right. that's what we know. So we try and squeeze that into our own box as far as comprehension. Right. Like they, they used to think that the mirror recognition test was an, uh, a proof of self-awareness, right? So elephants could do it. They recognize themselves. Dolphins could do it. But they said, well, dogs can't do it. They must not have self-awareness. What the problem with that is, is dogs don't use sight as their primary sense. You know, dogs use the sense of smell as their primary sense. So if you give them a pee sample, they can tell who it is. They know theirs from another mm -hmm. dog's, you know, which we couldn't do. <laughs> no, and I don't want to learn either but <laughs> but it's, it's a it's a great point so we, mm -hmm. we 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 measure everything by our own yardstick and yeah yeah anyway mm -hmm. i'm gone for days about that hey yeah. let's take a quick break genie and then come back and, um, I, and there's a lot of great stuff to come so thank you we'll see you soon hey friends if you like what you're hearing and want to learn more check out dr joseph's book the Human-Animal Connection, Deepening Relationships with Animals and Ourselves. Or visit the website, thehumananimalconnection.org, to book an online consultation. Thank you for loving animals. Now back to the show. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back. Let's uh, let's keep going with this. I am loving this animal communication stuff as uh, I can't wait to uh, fully understand what my dog thinks about me. She yeah. won't tell me all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's a wonderful story about Coco, the, the gorilla that was taught sign language, and it was said that she had a vocabulary of a three-year-old child. Um, but she did interesting things. She would sign to herself when no one was there because they had her on video, right? So she would talk to herself with these signs, you know, when she had these signs. And one of the early stories, Penny, her trainer, um, knew that Coco knew the concept of one week, and she had to go on a business trip, and she was going to be gone for two weeks. It was the first time she had left Coco for that 
long a period of time. So she said to Coco, I'm going to be gone for a week because she knew Coco knew one story, you know, knew what one week meant. And when she came back, Coco had pulled out her sink, her sink in her, in her enclosure. And Penny said, did you pull out your sink? And Coco said, no. And Penny said, are you sure? And Coco said, I didn't do it. Right. And Penny said, signing, right. You lied to me. And Coco said, you lied to me first. <laughs> How's that? Wow. <laughs> That's one of, my, one of my favorite Coco stories. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I yeah. love that. I have to look yeah. that up. Yeah, it's a great story. <laughs> and then I got to tell you the story about prairie dogs. So um, uh, there's a researcher was working for 30 years. He was learning the, the little squeaks and squeals and tiny little sounds that computer could hear, but we couldn't. But he began to understand that they were actually using language. I mean, prairie dog language to communicate with each other. And he did an experiment where he had his research assistants walk the same way, do the same things, but all he did was change the color of their shirt. So one in a blue shirt, one in a green shirt, one in a yellow shirt, whatever. And then he recorded what they were saying about these people walking through their 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 territory, right? And um, the prairie dogs would communicate all these things like human coming, blue shirt, walking slowly, you know, I mean, all these details, right, that 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 these prairie dogs were, the teeny little prairie dogs, like, were observed coming up from the hole and watching. And then he found one, the prairie dog said, big human carrying gun. Wow. What? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just amazing when you, when you start to hear these stories about when we, you know, find methods of communicating, you know, across species using these different, I mean, I, I use telepathy direct communication but it's really interesting to hear you know some of these researchers doing some of the science too and there was a a linguist named Stella Hunger and she had a I'm sorry uh, Christina Hunger she had a dog named Stella and they began teaching they wanted to teach her to let them know she, they had her as a puppy uh, when she wanted to go out so they had a talk button to teach her how to go out right so she learned out you know whatever and then they said well why just stop without so they started teaching her she learned about 36 words they weren't looking to do it wasn't like they were trying to do like chaser learned over a thousand words the dog but they were just interested in words that really you know directly affected the the connection between them so they she got to about 36 words with these talk buttons you probably you could see in the videos of the dogs stepping on the talk buttons that each word each button has one word so at one point um they you know they were kind of showing off they had some people over and the people were giving stella all this love and attention and she just got jealous for a moment and wanted Stella's attention back on her. And so she said, Stella, come over here. And Stella pushed the button, Christina, later. I'll talk to you later, right? It was so funny. I mean, like, it's really interesting to see how they put these buttons together. You know, that's it's fascinating. You know, it really gives you insight. And there's a, a story about Kanzi, who is a bonobo, which is a, a species of, of, I don't know what you call it's. I don't know if you say monkey or ape. I'm sorry, but the chimpanzees, anyway. right? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're a relative of chimpanzees. So, um, in fact, they're they're our closest genetic relative. The bonobos mm. are. Anyway, so um, uh, Sue Savage Rumbaugh was a researcher, and she was working with Kanzi with uh, this computer that that had symbols, not words, so Kanzi could communicate different things. You know, all I mean, like a a huge amount of words. I think 300 words or something. 
using pictures. Anyway, so, but she would do these things where she would make dinner with Kanzi and she would say to Kanzi, Kanzi, put water in the pot. And Kanzi would go take the pot, turn on the water, put it in. And then she'd say, no, that's not enough. Put more water in. Kanzi would put more water in, put the potatoes in, put the onions in. This whole conversation, I mean, at about a, you know, a young child level, but you watch this video and you realize how much Kanzi is understanding. It's just extraordinary. It's just really amazing. Mm. And yeah, and, and they gave her some kale and she gave it the name slow lettuce because it took too long to chew. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Well, who was clever Hans and what did he prove? Yeah, well, this is really interesting because this was, uh, what was it? Oh, what year? 18 something. 1800 something anyway this horse they thought um would stamp out the numbers like seven minus four equals three one two three he would stomp his foot and it was like a world sensation people would come from all over the world and people would watch and you know he was a famous star this horse clever hans and they tried to debunk him and they couldn't but finally they discovered that the horse could only do it if the horse could see his owner he could only, he had to be in the eye line of his owner. And what they discovered, and the owner didn't even realize it, but the owner was having a very subtle, like a slight tilt of the head that said to the horse, done, right? And so the horse would stop st- stomping his foot when the, when he got the signal from the owner. The owner didn't realize he was doing it. It wasn't deliberate, but this was this, this way that they communicated. And it was like this scandal, you know, like it was this terrible thing. But I thought it was this amazing thing because what it proved was how this horse could see the subtlest little neurological, almost slightest movement that communicates. So, like, instead of being, it, it became like this major scandal. And people would say for many, like a hundred years, people wouldn't, scientists wouldn't touch animal communication because of the so-called clever Hans effect, meaning, you know, that you would in some way influence the experiment when instead it should have been like, oh my God, the clever Hans effect, you know, that a horse can read something so subtle as the slightest, not of the slightest. I mean, really the person wasn't even aware and people watched him for, you know, so many people watched him could never see it. So, it was very, very subtle. So, that's, um, uh, but there's a story about a horse named Beautiful Jim Key, and this was not a clever hound story. This was an example of telepathic communication between a horse and the person. And uh, uh, Jim um, Doc Key was a self-trained veterinarian, was a, a former slave, and he had uh, adopted a former um champion horse that was originally sold for an Arabian horse was stolen from actually from a sheik and uh, sold it was originally sold for like sixty thousand dollars went to a circus broken down horse he bought this horse for forty dollars he thought he would have a cult was a champion the horse was born crippled and everybody said you got to put this horse down there's no way you can have any life you know what are you doing he raised this horse like in his own house slept in the bed with him you know <laughs> in the, the horse was raised inside right this little tiny thing the horse learned to do everything that the dog could do like sit and down and roll over like he would just learn what he was everything the dog could do he could do and he realized that the horse was just incredibly smart and he decided to teach him the alphabet so he had these letters that the horse would, you know, learn A and then he would learn B and all this other stuff. He learned the entire alphabet. He learned how to spell. He he would beat sixth graders at spelling bees. 
And he was, you know, a phenomenon at the World's Fair. And this was not the Clever Hounds effect because he could do it when his owner was not in the vicinity, like reporters would come and do it. And he would tell the there was one time a reporter came and said, he said, um, Doc Key said to him, just give him an apple afterwards. You know, that's what he's used to for performing for you. And he performed perfectly and the reporter was perfectly convinced, but he forgot to give him the apple. So Doc Key went to see his horse afterwards and said, so how'd it go? And the horse spelled out fruitless. <laughs> he got no fruit. <laughs> so anyway, this is this is a true story. It's in public domain. You can see the you know read about it. I just love to tell the story of beautiful Jim Key because it was at a time when people thought horses were beasts of burden. They were property. I mean, hundreds of horses would die a day in the streets of New York, you know, because they had no water. They overworked them, and and so. Jim Key really was the beginning of helping people understand the potential intelligence of animals. And uh, over, he was at the World's Fair, like 10 million people saw him. President Roosevelt came to see him. In fact, he predicted who President Roosevelt's daughter would marry. <laughs> and he was right. She did marry him. <laughs> I don't oh know if it's I don't know if it's because the horse told her to, I don't know, but you know, it, it's just an amazing story. So I just, I really want to encourage everyone to learn about beautiful Jim Key because that just, if you have any doubts about animal communication, learning about beautiful Jim Key will get rid of all of your doubts. So I hope that you'll be inspired to explore the world of animal communication for yourself. And again, if, it, if you're new at it, just consider this as a possibility. You don't have to believe it. If you're already past that point of considering, you're ready to believe, begin to trust it and begin to trust it that this is something that you can do. And with practice, 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 you will get better at actually hearing what animals have to say. I get it. And I believe it. I believe yeah. it. Yeah, some, sometimes, I, like I said before, sometimes I'm really paying attention mm -hmm. and I'm really open and other times I'm not. But I know there's we all always are. something trying to come through. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we will see you again. The next class is really follows on this animal communication is all about entering the language of silence, which is really like a zone in consciousness. It's a state of awareness. And it's in silence that we can hear all the answers. Yes. Yay. I'm excited. Well, thank yeah. you all for coming, Jeannie. Thank you so thank much you. for all this wonderful, wonderful sharing. So we'll talk to you soon. Aloha, Aloha for now. Thank you for tuning in to the Human Animal Connection Show. Please visit our website, thehumananimalconnection.org. There you can sign up for our free email newsletter, book a consultation, or check out our blogs and resources. Our best-selling book, The Human-Animal Connection, is available on Amazon. And your donation of any amount keeps our nonprofit organization providing life-changing services. You can reach Michael Overly, author of Let Your Dog Lead, Musings on How to Create an Exceptional Life, on his website at dogsandmen.com or email michael at dogsandmen.com. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.